Hi, my name is Max, and this is the Power Swords Podcast, a place where we talk about video games in general. I think the other intro before was, like, talking about retro games, but, like, this is just a general video game podcast with a focus on, like, good... No, okay, I'm losing my mind. Not good video games. So the focus on good, awful video games and a focus on old games, but you know what? Today we're talking about... To- focusing on a game that uh, games that everybody's like, can you please stop talking about this? Um, here with me, <laughs> that nobody knows, and everybody wants to forget. Here with me today are two uh, guests, soon to be co-hosts. Uh, uh, here I, Star Guy. Oh yeah, you're a co-host. Here I still has to earn his co-host badge. Um, so with our our special guest, uh, here I, Star Guy, and co-host uh, Jay. No last name provided. Uh, so, uh, who wants to? Do you, you who wants to talk about the topic? Who wants to tell us what the topic is for this this week's podcast? Bad games, specifically the development of bad games, because we all know the end product, but we want to know what's the seed these wretched trees have grown from. So let's get into that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. You had that plan. Yo, no, I didn't. I came up with that on the spot, I'm afraid to say. It's like you were like lying in wait with that one. <laughs> uh, I do that, but enough about my ridiculous loquaciousness. We've got games to talk about. We do. We have a, we have three main topics that we need, we're going to talk about today that we, I think, mentioned on the last podcast. Um, I'm going to move my mic so I can do it podcaster style. Uh, we're going to be talking about um, Hunt Down the Freeman, which is a... Half-Life derivative. Oh my god, two source games. Hunt Down the Freeman, Postal 3, and then Yandere Simulator. Or specifically Yandere Dev. Um, so, where do you want to get started? Do you, you want to talk about Hunt Down the Freeman, and I want to listen to you oh, talk about Hunt Down the Freeman. So, so, I'll give you the stage. Okay, so I have learned about... I've known about Hunt Down the Freeman since, I think, around the time that it came out, right? So, it came out in, like, early 2018, like, February or something like that. Uh, but I didn't learn about it until um, YouTuber, the YouTuber I Hate Everything made a video about it because uh, he had been approached to do a voice in the game. Uh, he, he specifically is the voice of Nick, who is not given a rank or last name. His name is just Nick. Uh, it, Nick is uh, an Asian-American uh, GI in the game or something like that. Uh, he's like an army dude. He he's part of a squad that finds you after your character's like like messed up or whatever. Uh, I, I I hate everything. Is a white British man. Nobody planned when hiring him. Anything beyond he's a YouTuber. He has a voice that people recognize. That's only the start of this game. So Hunt of the Freeman is a Half Life fan game that has been fraught in its development for for a long time. It came out a long time ago, obviously, but uh, it. It was it was plagued with controversy from the day it it, it was it was brought to the public's attention. Uh, mainly, people tend to when they think of uh, hunt down the Freeman, they think of a very specific line at the end of the game. They think of the protagonist has like these messed up facial scars, right from uh, from the inciting into the game, which is that he's been attacked by Gordon Freeman, right? So he has these crowbar scars on his on his face. Uh, and he's like, you fucked up my face. And that's the line that everybody knows about, right? But there's so much more to the game. And it is such a plague 
upon my psyche that it has shaped who I am to this day. For years, <laughs> I felt like I was the only, like, one of the only few people who, like, was a hunt down the Freemanographer. <laughs> but it was between me, people who had been contacted to work on the game, so YouTubers, and, and this one guy called Tess Nakerer who did, like, an hour and a half like, YouTube video detailing, like, the chronological problems with the game itself. I would direct you to go watch his review because it's really, like, it really well, like, sums up, like, the problems with the game itself. Uh, having played the game several times, like, I won't, like, debate him on that. He's pretty accurate. The development, on the other hand, is also a, uh, is also a site of controversy. First of all, like, you can't talk about Hunt Down the Freeman without talking about the stolen asset. I don't know how much you guys know about the stolen asset. I, d I heard a little bit. I did hear a little bit. You, you make people will make mention of it. They'll, but they won't specifically say what's stolen. Even I, to my, my I myself, don't know exactly the extent of what's been stolen. But there is a lot of assets lifted from uh, other artists and volunteers uh, that weren't. I want to say weren't like properly notified or credited or whatever. Like these weren't assets that were made for the game's mind. Um, the uh, one that I can think of specifically is uh, if you go to the Source Filmmaker or the Gary's Mod Workshop, there is a model for a Gordon Freeman. There's a Gordon Freeman model uh, by a, a modeler called Lenox. I don't know if that's how you pronounce it. I uh, think it is. Oh, Lenox, my enemy. I really hate Lenox. I hate his model so much. I'm sorry. I, it's, yeah. You put love into it. I'm a hater. Yeah. The models are very high quality. I just don't like how they're designed. Uh, generally, but they, but Lenoax, uh, I mean, Lenoax is credited, you know, Lenoax, I think, I, like, actively, like, contributed models to the game, but, like, I think it was only specifically that, that very high-quality Gordon Freeman model, um, because everything else looks like it was, uh, designed in, um, uh, that one, uh, Adobe program that, uh, you could rig your characters in Mixamo, I don't remember oh. what it was called, Oh, what is it called? I know exactly what you're talking about, but I can't yeah, remember I don't what, know what it is. Called, but like, I think it's just called Character all... Creator, something like this. Yeah, it was like a character creator that had like a bunch of default assets in it uh, that you could, yeah, yeah, you would just like uh, that you would just model your characters in, and 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 it really shows, um, especially considering that like many of the models were created like very incons very inconsistent quality. The main character of the game, Mitchell, only ever shows up in, like, Source Filmmaker cutscenes, because you're in first person whenever you're controlling him, right? He only ever shows up in Source Filmmaker cutscenes. As a result, he's a very high-quality character, you know? He has, um, he has lots of, you know, triangles, polygons on his face. Uh, he has a very detailed, uh, normal map that, that creates, like, all these different, like, bumps and roughness and coarseness to his face. He has very thick, luscious eyebrows and very sparkling blue eyes. Okay, here I tone it down. <laughs> he's this pretty, pretty man. He's like, with, like the this, this rugged, pretty man. They've designed him this way to look like that. He's like a mix between like a like a like a Metal Gear Solid character and Geralt of Rivia. <laughs> and he only ever shows up in source filmmaker scenes, right? There are other characters who show up both in Source Filmmaker and in game. These models are used in both, right? So the quality has to fit within the Source engine, but 
but it also has to be used in source filmmaker for these very dramatic scenes um the uh chief among them i want to point out boston joe who is a very unfortunate character oh um, no boston was... joe is a character that only shows up for one or two scenes he only speaks in one of those scenes um and he shows up and he looks like a gummy worm he looks like a gummy worm of a man <laughs> his mustache he's got like this smooth like airbrushed skin and like it feels like the the textures were painted with like photoshop default brushes a little bit like i don't want to be mean to the people who made these textures but like the contrast is is especially stark when you pair him up in source filmmaker right next to like pretty boy a million details mitchell yeah it's like that it's like that meme where it's like you can tell when an artist has favoritism towards one character because then one character is like they have a ton of like you know detail on them and they're like very like beautiful and the other character is like so plain and like normal looking and it's like yeah clearly they're like no no mitchell has to be perfect but then they put so much effort into making mitchell that they completely forgot about everything mitchell else has to be perfect. he was made specifically for source filmmaker so they have a little bit more freedom there with like the lighting and whatnot. This is not Source 2, by the way. This was just the original Source filmmaker. Um, there were, I believe, multiple animators for uh, this, for this project as well to make the cutscenes. That's the thing about it. The game has cutscenes. If you know Half-Life, you know that it's usually first-person perspective. That's how typically lots of Source games. Um, but they had cutscenes. So it's they had awful. A bunch of different so animators. Bad. I think the best animator out of them was Deramix who was the one who did the iconic you fucked up my face cutscene, but also a couple other cutscenes, including the one where they turn on the radio and they listen to the president of the United States, Keemstar, announce the surrender, right? <laughs> but And so the, the quality of the cutscenes varies a lot because you can definitely see everybody's different directing styles and lighting styles and, like, and um, movement styles and everything, right? Uh... So it's it's a very it's a patchwork of volunteers. I don't know how many people were paid to work on it or whatever. Deramix has been very kind to uh to reach out to there in in the last year or so I think there has been a more recently like lively community of people who are who have this interest in Hunt on the Freeman and um like have have been putting together like assets and whatnot that uh have worked on it have kept around. Uh, and Deramix has been very gracious to provide some of the files that were um, that were in the games uh, that that we couldn't access ourselves. So, uh, you know, base voice line stuff for the cutscenes and all that, uh, which is very fun and fortunate for my for my friend Bird, who has spent twenty something hours in Source Filmmaker specifically tinkering around with Hunt Down the Freeman assets to make cat boys <laughs> oh my god yeah i've I, I i don't like know him personally but i have met him a few times i'm like this guy has like everything on hunt down the frame and probably i'm scared that he's, he's got like terabytes upon terabytes Bird? of like yeah of like in like hunt down the frame and information we have um we do have like specific voice lines like clean takes voice lines unused files and we'll get into that let's get into the unused files now we can talk about development whenever I remember how to segue into something, but um, unused lines include a lot of takes, very specific. I'm going to go into spoilers now for Hunt Down the Freeman. Not that I think anybody cares, uh, but, uh, you know, I've played this game multiple times, and 
at the end of the game, so at the beginning of the game, right, you're treated to a cutscene of Mitchell's like life leading up to when he goes to uh, Black Mesa, um, you know, and he ha- it, and it shows you the very first scene in the very first cutscene is his brother, who I don't I don't know like what the what if the brother's older or younger or like a twin or something like that. I don't know what's supposed to be implied where, but your brother you walk out into the kitchen and you see your brother and you're like, there's like, oh shit, there's a dead body in the kitchen. And then you get separated from your brother. And then later when Mitchell goes into the Marines, he reunites with his brother. Although you don't really know it that at, that that's the case because it's really, there's no dialogue in the opening cutscene, And so it's really ambiguous. It's like, what's going on. That's a lot of what happens at the end of the game. There are multiple endings. And by multiple endings, I mean, you either complete the very final sequence, um, and you get the you fucked up my face cutscene, or you die and you get one of two death cuts. One of them is you show up on a train with a bunch of Lenox Gordon Freeman models and you sit down next to them and you're like, Well, I guess I was no better than Freeman in the end. Eternal damnation. <laughs> <laughs> and um and the second one, you're both of these you're in a void. And the second one you show up at a void, and there's another marine behind you. And you turn around, and you look at him, and you get these flashbacks to your brother, and you go, Adrian? And oh my god! Your brother, your brother was Adrian Shepard from uh, the Half-Life uh, expansion Opposing Force. AKA oh my god, the one worst the one! Side characters, one of the more popular side characters of, uh, the, of the Half-Life fandom. That's right. You're you're his brother. It's okay. It's, listen, I'm gonna I'm gonna listen to a couple things. I'm sorry to interrupt. People actually really hate opposing force. They really don't like out of the gearbox like sequel spinoffs. People are like, this was fucking sucks. I shouldn't swear. Oh my god. Um, I'm pretty sure that was. I thought that was blue shift. No, I, I people, think people like blue shift force. more than opposing force. I think I people are like, oh my god, army. Saw that people liked opposing force more than blue shift because it added the new like weapons and like the the, the squad mechanics and like the the like the long. It was longer than blue shift, right? So people people thought that was more interesting. But get aside from that, basically the idea was that the whole reason that Mitchell was on this revenge quest was because he believed that his brother had been killed in Black Mesa, because you know your squad gets killed by. Gordon Freeman, or someone you presume to be Gordon Freeman, he's a guy in an ATV suit, um, and that's where you get your crowbar scars from. Because you get beat up by a guy in an ATV suit, you think that's Gordon Freeman. I'm gonna hunt him down. Yeah. Oh my um, god! Oh my god! Hunt down the Freeman. Win. Base, but but so then none of that comes across in the actual game. But there are several cut lines, and in the interview itself, um, Birkin actually mentions. Uh, he specifically states, states that uh, Mitchell, he loves his squad and he loves his brother, right? Because he's going after this guy who killed his brother, or he thinks he's killed his brother. Um, but uh, it, none of that comes across in the game, because it's, it seems to have been cut out. But we found uh, alternative original takes from the voice actor of Mitch, Mick Lar, um, you know, known for many actual professional projects, uh, also known as Rice Pirate. Um, but there are several voice lines that, in which, uh, Mitchell is saying, like, these things about his, his brother and to his brother, 
you know, where he, he reflects this genuine kindness, you know? And also to squad mates of, like, he, at a certain point in the game, he picks up a bunch of, like, children who have been orphaned and have been taken to this factory for, like, child labor by the Combine. And he takes them and he he brings them to his, his ship and he makes them into part of his, his army. And there are these lines that reflect, again, this kindness where he talks to he talks to his uh his his army kids like well they're his kids i know but like and listen he made child soldiers i'm just thinking he about did, this he did, he, did, he did take them into child soldiers but like yeah he did like, like train them to become child but soldiers there's so many of these lines that 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 make mitchell into this like more like i want to i don't want to say complex character but like it has this alternative uh edge to it where it's not just this edgy loner loser or whatever but where he's like a genuinely grieving man where he has where he has like all these raw emotions that he's been left to stew with for 20 years and and now that you know freeman has come back around he's just so tired and angry and he wants to end it all oh my god you're putting so much depth into this game that has absolutely nothing it's so good there should have been so much depth to it and when you listen to Birkin talking about it in the interview, uh, he genuinely believes in this story. He genuinely seems to believe in the story that he's been writing and uh, talks about, you know, video games as a medium for storytelling as opposed to, you know, movies or books and whatnot uh, with this sort of very lofty ambition. The problem is that he never told anybody the full story. He, he says, he states that he told very few people about the full scope of the concept of the game because he didn't know who he could trust. Oh my god. I don't know why he felt like he couldn't trust anybody. I won't pretend like I know why. But he just didn't. He didn't share this stuff. Hang on, I gotta close People outside. But, but, yeah, I, no, I've got the direct quote. He says, only a couple of people knew the co real concept of the game. I didn't know who I can trust. And, oh my god. You know, it did affect his game, because in his video, I Hate Everything, talks about not knowing anything that he was doing. He was told to read some lines over Skype. He was told he was called in occasionally for, um, for uh, re-recordings. He was told to do his lines in, his, in, in, a, in an American accent, and to do them in his natural British accent. Both of which were used in the game. It's <laughs> my so favorite thing. Fucking love this. British, he starts out the game British, and then after the twenty-year time skip, he becomes American, which is As... wild to me. This happens actually. Um, I don't know what it's called, but this is a phenomenon. No, it isn't. But like, can you no, imagine? No, but it's I, I awful. Mean, that's what we figure has <gasps> happened, just... right? Like this, ac this accent homogenization. He spent twenty years on a boat with a bunch of Americans. But, like, it's the fact that it was inconsistent at all within the video game is, like... But it doesn't the, happen, the, though. Line. It this, it like, when, it when you're a child, it's, it happened. It, when you're a child, it happens because at that point, your brain is still learning and changing. And, like, you can lose or gain accents, like, depending on your environment. But he was already an adult man by the time this happened. He, no, <laughs> he yeah, just loses his accent. Like, they were adult men in, like, their 20s or something. And, like, he... And then he... He's, he's like, he, he starts out the game like, Mitchell, I can't believe you've made it. 
We've got to get out of Albuquerque. He's right? a he's like British that, Armed Forces that, in America. It's also pronounced. He's not that like received with his pronunciation, but like he's very noticeably British. And then when you get to the to the um to the twenty years later, he's talking about like Mitchell. What are you saying? <laughs> yeah. He doesn't care about any of them. God help us. <laughs> yeah, it's <laughs> awful. <really> <laughs> Um, and it's like, it's just like, the, the whole point of it though is that, like, he didn't tell anybody about the script. He didn't give anybody a full script, he didn't tell anybody what, where anything was going. I, to the point where it was, it was, it's kind of seen as something kind of, like, like a little phenomenal that he, he revealed to Deramix, like, early on, they told Deramix that, um, that, uh, spoilers, again, I feel like I keep having to disclaim it, but we're already deep in this, um, that, uh, so he tells Deramix that Adam is the actual guy who beat up Mitchell. He's the one who caved in his face with a crowbar. And very few other people knew about that at that time. Um, oh my god. Deramix, so Deramix, with that information, um, uh, I think it was specifically because he had done the final cutscene first or something like that. It was very early on. So he ended up taking that, that information um, and applying it to the the scene where they are listening to the radio, and so at, there's a like a moment where uh, Adam creeps up from behind Mitchell from the shadows in sort of this this foreshadowing motion where everybody else is in the light behind him, but Adam is in the shadows, and Adam's like face is always in his very first scene he's like shou- he's like shrouded with like these like these horizontal shadows that like cover up a lot of his face except for his eyes. And so, like, there's this interesting foreshadowing that happens, but, like, it, very few people knew about it. Right? Yeah, it's just, it's, it's astounding how it's, like, um, Birkin obviously wanted to just, like, I, I, like, for reasons unknown to us and probably to anybody for the rest of time, um, we don't know why he was so anxious or nervous about, like, who he could trust with the information about his story. Maybe he was nervous that somebody was going to take it from him or do it, you know, do it. I don't know it. if he was like, nervous about it necessarily. I I predict that it was probably something akin to a more recent phenomenon that's been happening in Hollywood, which is in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, right? The Avengers Infinity War, not the, the cast did not receive full script so that they wouldn't be able to leak or spoil anything that was going to happen to the press. So they didn't even know the full, the full scope of the movie that they were making. And given that most of that movie was filmed on a green screen, I have to uh, I have to imagine it was kind of frustrating. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, that makes, that I, makes I, a lot of sense. But when that happened, when it happened with Infinity War, it was a more mixed thing, right? It wasn't universally panned, like how it criticized, like what Birkin is doing. Um, people who are, you know, gushing, adoring MCU fanboys were thought that was the most genius move of all time. They were like, whoa, we love the Russo so much. That this is such a great, cool move. What a clever thing to do. And it's like, it's become a lot more normalized. But back in, I want to say 2016, when this game was being in development, uh, it was not a normal thing. And that he was criticized for it so much. Uh, from, from, when it, from when it went into production to when it came out. Like, nobody knew what they were working on. And, I don't know, it just speaks to such a nature, uh, with the, um, with, with, with regards to, uh, the, 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 the industry, 
you know? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think it's it's just this hubris. I think it's a hubris that the, that it's it's common amongst lots of Hollywood directors, but Birkin also calls himself a game director, right? He calls himself a director. I think he wanted these similar lofty ideas for his story. He wanted to he this is his magnum opus. He wanted to sit up there amongst the stars with the likes of Gabe Newell and and uh, Joss Whedon or whatever and you know and, and Hideo Kojima he, he wanted to be Hideo Kojima that's and that's I what I think right? well. it's just like he wanted to tell a story he wanted to make a movie is, is essentially what he wanted to do but the way that he made the game which is supposed to be an air quotes Half-Life game is so different from Half-Life like the the way that Half Life games also, work, that it's like it it just it like it didn't it wasn't either one. It was just like trying to be a movie, but so locked in like being a game that it it never really like accurately flowed between. Like Half Life, as we know, is one like the whole thing is about linear storytelling and like environmental storytelling, and so the whole thing is how you go from point A to point B without stopping, without level breaks, without anything between them, so you can move freely between each level. Well, not freely, but like, you you know every step of the way that you came, and like, Hunt Down the Freeman has cutscenes, which in a Half-Life game is, you know, unheard of. Yeah, it, take, it takes place over three different time periods. It takes place during the, the aftermath of the Black Mesa incident, and then it takes place three years later in between Half-Life 1 and 2, and then it takes place in the time of Half-Life 2. One step behind Gordon Freeman every way, right? Uh, he mentions, though, what baffles me is that he does mention a lot of, like, the interviewer would at, would sometimes call him out on the, these things that he had uh, concerns about regarding... At the time, it was an Indiegogo, so there was only one trailer to go on, and only later did a demo come out when people pointed out, hey, we don't know exactly what this game is. Why are you asking us to give you $100,000? $100,000? So, oh my god. $100,000 they asked for, and they only they, they barely made any of that, right? So, uh, they... So he... So the interviewer sometimes, and, and uh, like, asks things like, is this, you know... Uh, how how is this going to be for you know people who have never played Half Life versus you know people who like Half Life who who played it who are part of the community you know who are part of the modding scene and stuff like that and he says things like you know this is going to be a great game for people who've never played Half Life it takes place in the Half Life world but you know even if you've never played Half Life you'll find it, it is really it's really good and fun and an interesting story with lots of emotions and uh, but also then he asks but then in the interview asks. Um, he asks, uh, what do you think is the demographic? Like, are there going to be more people who are attracted to this game who have played Half-Life than not, or the other way around? And he says, 50-50. I think both people are going to like it. So, he admits that he wants to try and make this game for everybody, but he also kind of isn't. He's making the game for himself, but also for everybody, but not in a way that's like me first and then everybody else who enjoys it kind of you know connects with it in, in more in a way that like he had a vision but as uh questions started piling up and your development made a lot of the ambitions sort of harder to do he started making more compromises 
I won't pretend like I, I know for a fact that that's what happened. I don't have any access to anybody on the development team. A lot of my information is even is secondhand. Um, but that is very much what it's like. Was a guy who had uh, thoughts and ambitions and ideas and a genuinely half decent game. There's a lot of stuff that he talks about. When he's talking about the story, he, his face lights up. Um, he talks about the story like it's the greatest thing he's ever come up with. And he's having a lot of fun de describing, um, you know, you're this military guy who wakes up in the middle of this conflict and, you know, you have to travel this great distance and then you become, a, you go on a ship and stuff like that. But he also mentions things that don't make it into the final game. And for worse, there are things that he cut out that make it worse. There's a section where he talks about like, oh yeah, your guy, your 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 team would have been like a third faction who sort of went around on your boat like a like a pirate, and you would have intercepted other boats that were going to other cities. You could visit other cities, and and you would have captured a prisoner from another boat, and you would have interrogated him, and he would have told you that Freeman was back, which makes a lot more sense than how you find out that Freeman is back in the game. Which is that one of your guys fishes up a crowbar from the ocean? And <laughs> is this true? Friends, yes, your your one of your soldiers fishes up a crowbar from the sea. Your your two boyfriends, Nick and Adam, discuss <laughs> like, should we tell him? I don't see why we should keep it from him. Then Adam like sort of intentionally triggers your PTSD by showing you the crowbar, and then Mitchell grabs the crowbar and throws it on the ground. He's like, get everybody, get out! <laughs> is him looking at the crowbar to to immediately everybody in the room immediately surmises that H Gordon Freeman is back and they got it from the ocean that's so goofy imagine it's like you know you're you're on this like big sh like ship that you've been raised on you became a child soldier on for the last 20 years all right your job is to take a magnet and drag it along the seafloor so you can pick up stray scrap metal so you can fix the boat or do whatever stuff you need to do. You pick up a crowbar, you turn to one of your superior officers and go, Hey, uh, is this anything? Um, I don't think it's like it's too thick for us to use or anything. And they go, Oh my god. And you're like, Okay. And like, No, we have to go show this to Mitch. And everybody's like, Alright. And so they take you with They take you. They take you with them. They have the guy and they found it in the room too. He looks fucking exhausted. Like they fished him out. I think they that's what happens. It's like they fished him out of the water and he was in the crowbar. They fished him out of the water. You're exhausted. And they're like, Mitch, and then this guy loses basically the, the guy who took you from your like child slave factory job and then made you into a child soldier loses it and just starts throwing shit around and makes everybody leave. Uh I like that's everybody get out. <laughs> And, 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 like, that makes so much less sense than we captured a guy from who was on a boat heading away from City 17, and we interrogated him, and he told us that Gordon Freeman was back. And, like, do you understand what I mean? Like, that makes so much less, like, like, that makes so much more sense than, like, the bullshit that goes on. I'm sorry, I have to stop swearing. That, that makes so much, like, more sense than however it actually happened. You it's... know? Yeah, it's it's ridiculous. Somehow he keeps he would drop these concepts. Like in the original demo, there's another there's another mechanic which I I 
picked up actually because I thought it was such a cool mechanic that I picked it up for my own uh, fan series uh, where Mitchell is where Mitchell is uh, also in it. But like, it's it's a specifically a, it's a spirit, it's a ghost, it's a haunted house story, right? Um, and that's that uh, certain dead bodies that Mitchell comes across will have like this floating blue orb over it, right? And when he touches it, he can see like what they saw right before they died. So he can find out how they died. He can see like the things that happened in the area around them. I'm pretty sure that that was supposed to be like a mechanic that he would use to in order to track down Freeman. And I don't know why. I don't know how it was justified with the text or if it was just something that he had that was like for gameplay purposes. But I think that that would have been really cool. Like as a, in terms of like a change from like. Half-Life's established gameplay, if you really wanted to change up the gameplay, if you wanted to make this into a thing that both Half-Life fans and non-Half-Life fans could have enjoyed, that might have been interesting. That would have been really good for, like, environmental storytelling on, like, a really large scale. Half-Life, I, I think, above all, like, if you remember Half-Life for something, you remember it for uh, its linearity in, like, the unbroken story, and you remember it for environmental storytelling. There's lots of things in the uh in each map that tell you you know what the situation is for in half-life 2 without having to expose like exposit this all to you like in a massive info dump you walk through the ruins of ravenholm and you can see all these head crab shells everywhere and like head crab zombies and you can tell oh the combine got here and they just devastated this place maybe you see a bunch of mechanical traps all over the place before you even meet Father Gregorian, you can think, oh, this, there's somebody here who's been setting all these up, right? There's lighting cues that lead you in certain directions, and there's um, just, just everything about it that tells you these things that even if you don't, even if Father Gregorian doesn't specifically tell you, you know, the, the, this used to be a peaceful community, but then the Combine found it and shelled it, and I've been living here ever since. Even before, even if he doesn't tell you that, you know that that's what happened. But that doesn't happen when done this. It's either these big, wide, empty maps that tell you nothing, or it's a cutscene explaining things to you. And not even that well at that. Yeah, that's why I was always turned off by it, because it always just felt like it was... It just didn't have what made Half-Life Half-Life, and that's kind of... You can tell any story within the Half-Life universe, but if it doesn't, like, pay homage to, like, the game mechanics itself, it feels so disconnected from it. But, like, here, I let me ask you a question to wrap up Hunt Down the Freeman because it's been a half hour, if you can believe it. Um, oh, my God. I've got I know. to say about this. Yeah, you I do. Took, like, I took, I have two note cards, and I filled up uh, most of those note cards with notes on this interview. And I will have to share them with you outside of this podcast because I've got so much to say. We can talk about Hunt Down the Freeman on another episode because like there's no rules um and we could do what we want right but yeah. let me ask you a couple questions just to wrap up the hunt down the freeman uh talk some glitches uh bugs or notable events that kind of make it stand out or make it uh you know that not not make it or break it mostly just break it you know so uh you know, take the stage that break it um well when i when i first played the game uh there were there were uh, some some several notable instances. I remember in the City 17 sec section where uh, you're just kind of going around through City 17 and like trying to get the attention of the cops so that they'll arrest you. 
at, at very first, like, only one cop started chasing me, and I kind of just started kiting him around the map, and it was really funny. And because I didn't know where I was going, so like they would just, it would just follow me, and like none of the other cops like paid any attention to me until I finally figured out where I was supposed to be going. That was very fun. Um, I did get stuck on a wall uh, at several points. Um, there's a parkour system in the game, and it's a little broken, if you could believe that. Um, and sometimes you'll be trying to go up a wall, and it will just like boot you back all the way back down to the bottom. Like if you're trying to shimmy up a pipe. If you don't approach it from a certain angle, it'll be like, no, no, no. So that's frustrating. Uh, one time I tried to climb up a wall and got and and uh, turned on no clip and I just got stuck in that position. I couldn't I couldn't drop back down to the ground. My arms were in front of me like I was still like climbing on the ledge of the thing. Um, I have no patience for this game. I will admit that I no clipped through a lot of it. Um, uh, uh, I'm trying to also think. Oh, um, in the dry do in the dock segment, sometimes the so the water will just straight up kill you. I don't know why the water has a kill box, but there is a dry dock area that if you set foot into it, you'll still take water damage because I don't know. I guess the levels were 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 not were too high up or something like that. The water kills you in Half-Life 2, so... Half-Life 2, yeah. comma, as well, but like... Yeah, but the water's not polluted yet in, in this segment in Hunt Down the Freeman. This is just regular-ass California Bay water. Oh, he just can't swim. He can't it's in California. Yeah, you're right. It's yeah. California. <laughs> California's just... It's, it's toxic and it deteriorates your health just by being in or around oh. it. I'll say that the, that there is exactly one guy from Royal Rudius that is still working on the game. Um, after the game came out in 2018, it received a lot of patches and bug fixes that sort of tried to fix as many of the glitches as it could. So a lot of the fun ones have been patched out. Um, unfortunately, not all of them, because I don't think the guy is that invested in fixing this game. He kind of hates it. Um, uh, but but it, 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 it's... A little, it's a little harder to see broken cutscenes now. Um, there, there are still cutscenes that just straight up don't play uh, in the game. So a lot, a lot more of the experience is not like breaking, as in like it's funny, as in it's just a very frustrating thing to play with a very frustrating development. Hit. And that's all I can say on Hunt on the Freeman for right now, or else they're gonna get mad at me that I'm not giving them time to talk about their topic. <laughs> I'm tempted to put a timestamp on this video and be like, hi, teacher, wait one second. <laughs> oh, where was I? Oh, right. Then I'm tempted to just put a, a timestamp in, in the description of this, be like, skip to you know, 40 minutes if you want to hear, you know, the, the Mac stock. <laughs> my, but like, note to Ben, hi teacher, if you're listening to this. I don't know if he's, I don't know if he listens to my podcast, I'm not gonna lie. If he does, please send me a message. I think he just, it's like, okay, Mac's uploaded, good, and that's it. Yeah. Um, but speaking of god-awful source games, uh, we're talking to talk about my uh, personal enemy and game I've played very little of, but know a decent amount about. Postal 3. My god. So the so the thing is, so Postal 2, commercial, sort of commercial success, 
and Postal One also did pretty good. They were both made by a company called Running With Scissors. They're pretty good guys. I've talked about Postal a couple times on the podcast. Um, but the idea was they were developers and they not publishers, so they couldn't distribute the game. But they wanted... They also didn't have enough, like, assets, like, resources to make... To, gee, bless you. To make Sorry. the game... No, don't worry. To make the game they wanted to make. Why do I sound like I just finished running? What the heck is wrong with me? I gotta breathe. So they didn't have enough resources to make the game they, like, wanted to make. So they outsourced it to, like, Russian... The Russian version of Electronic Arts called Akela. So... Electronic Arts is kind of a nightmare, and we'll we'll move. I'll I'll talk about them a little bit, but essentially a summary about them is that they care more about making money than making games. Um, making games is just like a way of making money, and so Akela is just like the Russian version of that. But Running with Scissors had like worked with them before, and Akela had distributed um, Postal Two and other Postal games throughout Russia before, so it wasn't like an issue. Like they were like, oh, we have, we were on good terms with them. Uh, they also made another a Postal 2, like, essentially, like, spin-off game called Corkscrew Rules, where, like, it's worse than Postal 2, because you play a guy named Corkscrew in Russia, and who's also, like, a porn actor, but then gets his dick stolen, and then he's, like, has a woman's voice, and I'm like, hey, wait a second, this is not what the game is about at all, but they still, I don't, we're gonna just pretend Corkscrew Rules doesn't exist, but, like, it's weird as shit, but anyways. So, uh, Postal 3 was made by Akela. And it was written and, like, designed, essentially, by Running With Scissors, who were the main developers, and then published and mostly developed by Akela. So that's a background there. But, so, it was starting to get developed, I think, around 2005. Um, and they were like, oh, we're going to release it in 2008 or, like, 2007. And then you'll never guess what happened in 2008. Do you guys remember the financial crisis? Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I was I was too young to understand the ramifications, but I knew it was happening. I didn't. I was still too young to know what was going on. Um. So uh, hashtag... I just know. I just I just know that. Um. I just I know that in two thousand and eight, my sensibilities about the political world started opening up. Uh, I I have to think. I I think I directly have to credit that to uh, the Beijing Olympics and the uh, election that was happening that year with Obama. I remember that, but I wasn't aware enough to knew, to like know what it meant. So I don't know. I was four. I don't remember any of this though. I was I was five years old. Oh my god. Anyways, I was um, old enough to write a letter to Bush telling him not to go to the to the Beijing Olympics as the president. I told him to go in disguise. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, derailing. No, we'll unpack all that later. Um, so <laughs> it it got. <laughs> The first time Postal 3 got delayed was because of the 20, 2008 financial crisis. But let me, here's the thing. The, 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 the reason it got delayed was because Akela was essentially divided into a bunch of groups. And it had, like, um, an A team, a B, I think A, B, C, and D team, essentially. And then it had, like, a quality assurance, which is, like, the smallest portion. And then it had, uh, a, it had a couple other portions, essentially. But the development teams made up the majority of, of Akela. So... You know, essentially the the A team was like working on it first, and then Akela was like, "Oh, it's too expensive to keep the A team because they're the best team. Too ex- expensive to keep them around, so they cut the A team." 
And then as the years went on, because it kept getting cut, and then they kept giving it to other developers, and then it kept changing, they kept cutting teams until eventually they were left with the D team. And then even then they cut them. And so the game was just barely, like, you know, sort of patched together with, like, duct tape and, like, super glue and, and t- Jesus' tears and, like, anything else you could think of to, like, make it barely hold together, right? And it's on the same engine as Hunt Down the Freeman, which is, you know, the Swiss engine is a blessing and a curse. Only Valve can make good games on it. I will not lie about this. But, like, here's the issue, right? So... Because Akella was, first of all, not really in contact with Running With Scissors, and they were kind of trying to take their own kind of creative risks on it without consulting Running With Scissors, ooh, it's like a, it, w- it was kind of a dumpster fire. So in a game that was traditionally like f- like first person, first person shooter, it switched to like a third person shooter all of a sudden, like from the back. And on the, the Source Engine? On the Source engine, yeah. So it was so, and that, see, that was a big issue because for a lot of like, sometimes you just wouldn't have a crosshair. This game is, I'm gonna say, literally multiple people have like said it's worse. It's like worse than Hunt Down the Freeman because it is like you. It, sometimes it won't even boot. Like sometimes you can't even turn it on. Um, but sometimes you just won't have a crosshair. Um, it's just it's so ridiculously buggy that I've literally seen it. I've played very little of it because I could not get it to run, but. I've literally seen it happen that, like, you will do an event, and then there's, like, cutscenes, which, like, oh, no, there were cutscenes in Postal, but they were very, like, very short, just to, like, show, oh, there's a group incoming, and that was it. But, like, there would be cutscenes that would play, but they were not the right cutscenes, because the, another thing, it had a morality system, which is ridiculous, because the whole idea of Postal... For yeah, for a Postal game, the whole idea of Postal is that you're supposed to basically be as unhinged as possible, and you can kill as much as you want. You can hurt and maim and destroy as much as you want, essentially without any consequence. There is consequence, but like it's encouraged to be evil, typically. Postal 3 had a morality system, and it was like a smiley face. And every time you like did something bad, it would like turn more red until eventually it became like a mad face. But there was no way to make it like a smiley face again. There was no way to like earn good boy points. You could only earn evil boy points. And so like if you earn too many evil boy points, you would not be able to access the good cutscene, and then the game would end prematurely and say, maybe you should have been a better boy, and then it's like, what? the whole game is about being evil, and then it's like, you're, you're punishing the player for not, for, for doing the thing that this game is like known for. For not being postal guy. Yeah, for not going postal, it's like, it's insane, and that, that was I think, the thing that pissed me That's off the like most. Playing, it's honestly like playing Grand Theft Auto but as a law-abiding citizen and expecting to, like, progress in the story levels. Exactly. It's like, no, no, it's like, Grand Theft Auto, but you can't hurt or kill or steal or do, like, anything. But it's like, it's the same thing. It's like, it's like, oh, you have to fight the bad guys or join the bad guys, but then if you join the bad guys, the game ends prematurely. But, like, there's two stories. Oh, in the good, in the good side, like, in the good storyline, you join the cops, by the way. You join the, you, you join the police. Oh, there it is. <laughs> so it's like, I, I can't remember what happened, but like, oh, okay, so it's like, from, from what I'm trying to remember is like, there's like a scene essentially where you either choose to like, join the police, or you try to join the police, and then you win, and you continue with the police, and then you go on like a raid to like, destroy vegans or something, because that was funny at the time, like 2011, um, or, and then if you lose, you like, 
join the vegans and like do eco-terrorism i don't remember what like what what uh, exactly it was but then i remember like when i saw somebody play it what happened is they completed like the police training mission but then they got the wrong cutscene, so they thought that they had failed the police training mission and so they did it like a couple times before realizing the cutscene was just playing wrong it wasn't playing the right cutscene, and it kept telling them that they failed when they won, and so they just had to continue with like the police storyline. And so it's like, it's the aiming is jank. There's no someone's there's no crosshair, and like many times it was like obvious that they kept switching between a first person, like programming it for first person, and programming it for third person. So like sometimes the like where you would aim a weapon didn't line up with the crosshair, so it would just be impossible to shoot anything. Um, they also added uh, vehicles, which was uh, known to be like the word. Everybody's oh, vehicles in a postal game, and they were like trying to be funny about it. But it was like they're like they're like this isn't this is not this isn't good. They're, these are these don't work. They just either wouldn't work or would, like glitch out. And like as we know, the source engine. I say as we know, like as this, this is like a hashtag veteran gamer podcast, and not something I'm doing for a university professor. But like. The, as we know about the Source Engine, it is kind of known to be extremely janky and, like, not yeah. the nicest. It's not the nicest thing. So It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's an engine that was uh, built on top of a prior engine, the Gold Source Engine, that was built on top of the Quake Engine. And the Source Engine is still, to this day, like, it was impressive for the time. The time being 2004. But it is held together with spaghetti and popsicle sticks. It is it is a little bit uh, ridiculous. It's just like, yeah, spaghetti and popsicle sticks. I think is a good is a good way to say it. But um, also, so there's like cutscenes. Okay, the the tutorial is I'm like all over the place, but like the tutorial makes me want to cry a little bit because essentially it takes place like at the ending of Postal Two or like right before the ending of Postal Two. And like, what will happen is, so every time it's like, it's like a cutscene within like the tutorial, it like, so it flashes and then it has like a film grain effect to it. And it's so annoying. And then every time there's like some sort of like comic book, like wow, or bang, or I forgot what the, the onomatopoeia, I don't remember, but like, I should know this, um, like on screen, it'll like have like a Johnny test whip crack sound effect. And it happens so often. I was like, I can't stand this. I it's like so it's like for every little thing, every little graphic that appears is like a whip crack sound effect. And I'm like, who who did this? The voice acting is not great. Corey Cruz did a good job as the postal dude. He's actually coming back as the postal dude, um, for a game called Brain Damage, Postal Postal Brain Damage, which I'm excited and afraid for. Um But yeah, the morality meter I think is just what pisses me off the most. Cause it's uh, like yeah. It's like the whole game is about being bad, about being unhinged and morally corrupt. And then it's just like, no, 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 but you have to be nice. And it, it almost makes me wonder if this game is like specifically like wanting to be like a propaganda thing. I don't know. That would be a half to like, an angle. It being a propaganda thing, but like, oh boy, it's like. Like, the good ending has you joining the cops, and, like, there's a morality meter where your game is cut short if you commit too many crimes. It's like, in a game about- in a game with a fr from a franchise about committing crimes. 
it's like not and it's not even it's hardly even committing crimes for like a goal like the way it is in gta where you're like you know doing gang stuff and like committing the most, crimes it's the most chaotic evil kind of crime it's like it's if like it's hurting people because you can it's a, if it's a game where it's punishing you for being chaotic like that's like a really bad form of railroading and it's just not fun it's just, it, it it like it really ruins it, that might be the the biggest thing that ruins the whole game because um it really just like destroyed what made it a postal game which was just being unhinged because maybe it, if it was ridiculously jank but you could you know maybe if the mechanics were fun or if you could hurt and kill and maim as much as you wanted it'd be like okay well it's not great but I can still have fun with it but you can't even have fun with it because it punishes you for having fun with it the way you're supposed to have fun with it. Um, it also, another really important thing, was that Postal 2 had a big um, open world sort of design to it. So there were some places that were locked off until you like got there in that point of the story. But I'd, like the whole thing is like open and you can go to anywhere at any day and like essentially just like go across the whole map. There's no like linear storytelling in that way. You can cut through tunnels and go through neighborhoods and essentially get through that way. And that was really important because it allowed you to run away from the police when you hurt and kill and maim too much. Um, and this did not have that. It went through like a level system, essentially, where it's like, oh, here's this strip of road you can kind of, or this neighborhood you can do your activities in before being forced to do anything. And so it, it just, it had a, it, it wasn't a postal game. Like that, everybody says this, and I completely agree, is that it wasn't, excuse me, it wasn't a postal game. And it just, it... What else? I'm trying to think of what else. I have notes, and I'm like hardly reading them. But it wasn't a postal game. Um, and it was offensive, as they say. I, I've, I read it was offensive for all the wrong reasons. It was offensive because it sucked, and not because of the air quotes edgy jokes it was trying to make that like were, you know, hardly had any of like the bite and edge to them that like they were expecting. And it was just like, oh, this is awful. Yeah, it's like, it, it's, it's, that's the thing. It's like when people think, Oh, you know, you, uh, comedy is supposed to be offensive. It's like, well, it, it's not just bite. It's just there's not enough bite, and there's not enough like. My uh, last year, I took a I took a course that's called that that was called comedy and literature, and I didn't finish it unfortunately because they made me watch Pickle Rick, and that was my last draw. <laughs> but um, uh, the 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 there was one concept that kind of stood out to me, uh, while I was uh. While, while I was uh, in that class, which was called um, the benign violation theory, which was a theory of comedy where it's like there has to be equal parts. Um, this There's a violation, which is something that is... Uh, it, it's like in the, the, the kind of shock humor, the, the, um, the stuff that makes you think, should I be laughing at this? It's the... It, to, to unfortunately demonstrate it with Pickle Rick, because that's the whole reason it was, the violation part would have been Pickle Rick uh, going through and, like, murdering an entire compound of people in this massive, gory, bloody fest or whatever. That was supposed to be what the violation was. It was just this brutality, this, this can't-take-your-eyes-away-from-it-ness. Where benign, the idea of benign was, like, it was this more, like, subdued, subtle, you know, kind of comedy where uh, you you can tell yourself, like, if, if violation was... Should I be laughing at this comedy? Uh, benign would be, when am I supposed to laugh at this? Where it's like, again, to go back to Pickle Rick, the other subplot in that episode was the family goes to the therapist. 
and it's these very slow long scenes of like they're at the they're at the therapist and not much is happening but the comedy is supposed to be in the characterization rather than in the action right so in the case of the postal i believe that the benign violation theory of comedy the violation the, the violative comedy is not there in postal three the way yeah. that it was in postal two yeah it and wasn't it's not like... like offensive as in like you've made like a racial slur and expect us to laugh at it although i can't say that that doesn't happen in postal three i've never played it but they say slurs i don't think they say any racial slurs but they did say they do say slurs at like the very beginning um yeah to the r slur Oof. oh yeah but like it, it but there's no comedy to that there's no comedy to saying slurs and yeah, it's not like offensive because it's not offensive in like a funny way yeah because like postal 2 had that where it was like what is offensive. it what is it offensive and what does it say benign is that what you said yeah offensive and benign so i think in postal 2 it had i guess both of those aspects where like the offensive part was just like the absolute brutal violence you could do and like how gory it was yeah. and all of that and the benign was like this kind of social like i will stand by this postal 2 had social commentary especially in like because it came out in 2003 and it had like some you know it had a lot of uh it had so did social commentary on stuff like how on islamophobia on how um how people were reacting to stuff like blood and gore and games and like essentially being like people were being wusses about like how you know gory violent games are it had a lot of uh what else you know stuff on like homophobia and sexism and like it it was using it as a joke but it was a lot of it was legitimate like commentary on like why are people acting like this and i think in that it was kind of just like oh this is like Ooh, right but like you you can see a kind of a funny side to it if you like you know look at it in the right angle and so it's like i think it it did that so well because it did it through commentary and through i guess aspects in the game and postal 3 just didn't have anything it's just a shell it's just like a, a vague shell of trying to emulate what postal 2 had without having any of it and it's it's ridiculous it's, i guess the cynicism right of of thinking you don't have to have any heart to make jokes you could just be cynical and you can be dark and you can be like all 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 bite but no point right yeah it was just like it, it it really had nothing to it it was just a hollow shell of like trying to be something it wasn't and then just like and also having like goals like it just that's why i was thinking a lot about hunt on the freeman is that it had a lot of like it wanted to be something really good and i th think it could have been um, but like, just because of the 2008 financial crisis and mismanagement and Akella and just a lot of other things, it just didn't work out the way. I don't think it would have been a, a great game. I think it still would have been like, you know, you know, the ugly, the ugly little duckling, not even the ugly duckling, that's not a good analogy, but like the runt of the litter of like the postal games, but like. It, it could have been, it could have been, it could have been good. See, I'm passionate about Postal 3 the way you are about Hunt Down the Freeman. I'm like, if you just changed a couple things, it would have been great. But like, listen, did, here's my, here's my final, here's my final point. Did Running With Scissors learn their lesson about getting a uh, third party publisher, about getting a third party developer? Probably not, because they did it again. They're making another game, which I'm excited and very scared for, called, uh, Postal brain damaged, and I, I've been following, keeping up with the development on Twitter and stuff, and it's essentially, 
And I'm really mad about this because the art for it looks really good and the concept for it looks really good. Um, and even like stuff like assets I've seen looks amazing. But it's like trying to be this like um, new age retro shooter that's kind of a genre that's like coming back, you know, essentially. is to like, it's trying to be like a new Quake game with like a, a kind of a, like mental hospital asylum theme. Kind of like Psychonauts when I think about it, but like more evil. And so... It, it, it was trying to, it's trying to capitalize on that, but Running With Scissors is getting another company to make it. And I'm like, didn't you, didn't you guys learn from the first yeah, time? Yeah, the lesson that they took from that was not, we should, we should try, we should learn not to, like, trust 30 party developers with our things so, like, flippantly and not, like, like, keep an eye on them. Rather, it was, we should learn to not trust those guys in particular. Yeah, they said, no more trusting the Russians. That's that's what they that's what they learned from from Postal Three, and it's like I'm seeing it and I'm like the concept looks good. I love the concept art. Some of the assets look good, and then I see gameplay footage and like the way the game looks, and I'm like, oh, this is, oh, this is not good. This is not good, folks. And I see it and I'm like, oh, this is not going to be well received, unless there's a lot of issues with it that I'd have to list out and I didn't think about too too far ahead before writing this so I'd have to go into a big rant at a later date but Postal 3 um it it didn't have I feel like comparing it to like Hunt Down the Freeman um Hunt Down the Freeman is better I think than, than Postal 3 because at least Hunt Down the Freeman at least at least Hunt Down the Freeman you can beat it you know um yeah at least you can at beat least... Hunt Down the Freeman they promised multiple endings, but you can get only get one. But hey, at least that's better than like, you know, at least that's that's better than being like shamed for doing something that the you really had no choice but to do. Yeah, game. at least at least uh, you know they didn't take Hunt Down the Freeman off the Steam like off the Steam page because you can still buy um, you can Postal still Three buy on it. Steam. I bought it for a dollar fifty. Like I thought, bought it bought it for a dollar fifty last year when it was on sale. It went on sale this year for three dollars. It usually goes on sale around the Steam like summer sale. So if you have like two bucks to spare and you don't want to have a good time, <laughs> we'll recommend it. But sure, go ahead. <laughs> and you don't want to have a good time, but like Postal Three, legitimately, it, I don't. I think they just took it off their store page and then they had to put it back for like legal reasons because Running with Scissors doesn't even make any money off of Postal Three because of like legal stuff. They don't make any money off of it. So on their store page, because like on the Steam page is like different information and they have to leave it up. But on their like personal website page where you can buy a Steam key for it, it says, Supposed to 3 is a third person shooter. Just kidding. It sucks. Don't buy this. We hate it. Like they just are very blunt about how much they don't like it. And how if you want to have a good time, buy any of their other postal games that they have made previously. And so it was, they were just straight up like, doing we do not buy this. We can't stop you from buying it, but it'll be a waste of your money. And I'm like, wow inspiring um listen <laughs> listen we have we've, we've made it to the hour mark so <laughs> here's the thing here's the thing the limit is one hour and we can still talk about yandere simulator if we want to i don't know how much longer that's gonna go though yeah whatever wow, let's I think, I think if we were to tell you everything there is to say about yandere simulator it would take a long time so we should probably just save it for next time Yes, we have. There's so much. I think we should just have a whole episode on Yandere Simulator and Yandere oh. Dev because also, that saga itself. Listen. 
listen, I know so much about the Yandere Dev and Yandere Simulator because I, like, have been keeping up with it a little bit. Not really because I'm, like, I care, but because I, like, I just, I get bored and then I see, like, videos that are about the development. I'm like, I'm gonna watch this. And I'm like, I know yeah. so much about it. So, I could spend, like, 30 minutes telling you about it. Um, but I'm eating cereal right now. So, we'll do it next time. Yeah, we'll cut it for next time then. Um... I'm excited to talk about it, though, because it is hashtag teaser for many listeners of one teacher. Um, he's not even going to get to the end. But um, it's, a, it's a saga. It's a whole thing. Um, it's a whole issue. And it's still going. It's, it's not even done. The Yandere Dev Chronicles, I like Hunt Down the Freeman, but I think the Yandere Dev Chronicles are far more listening, interesting to listen to than anything about Hunt Down the Freeman's development. Like, no joke. And that that's gonna take a lot of time in order to do, so So yeah, we'll I think we're gonna we're gonna cut that in for uh one hour and four minutes. I'm Max, I was am your host, will always be your host. Um here is my uh, co host Jay and my uh you've earned your co hosting merit badge here I how do you yeah. feel about this? You talked I, for I, 30 I, minutes straight. You got it. You got it. <laughs> with an, enrapt, an enraptured audience, I'm sure. <laughs> I'm going to make a, twi a Twitter for this. I was listening. I was like, this is fucking awesome. Sorry. <laughs> you did much more preparation than I did, and this is my podcast. All right. Thank you, and goodbye. Goodbye. Bye.